Excuse me. Could you tell me how to get to the medical school? I'm supposed to be doing a lecture in about 20 minutes and my driver's a bit lost. You go straight ahead and uh, you make the left over the bridge. That's a lovely accent you have. New Jersey? Austria. Austria? <laughs> well then, <laughs> good day, mate. <laughs> Let's put another shrimp on the barbie. What the people them want? Woman them a flex and the man them a chant. Got the 60s style it off a comeback. Draw for your bell, butter black heel and frack. Boom shakala, good boy. You tell them no, sir. Wind your body, wiggle your belly, dip and go down in the new style. Wind and go. Welcome to 353rd. I'm on this panel. And I am Scott Barstow. Scott, how is things going today? Things are great, Anders. It's a it's a blasting hot day here in Raleigh, North Carolina. How are things in Cambridge? As it is here too, you know. I was uh, first of all, the music we're listening to is from the movie today, as you probably well know, Dumb and Dumber. Looking forward to that one. But it is hot here. I I just went running, and uh, uh, it's it is just it's brutal, just brutal. But anyway, so I'm using Runkeeper. Are you familiar with Runkeeper? You know what I'm talking about? I am about? familiar with Runkeeper only because, well, obviously it's in the news, but I know that you use it extensively. I do, and uh, it is in the news. Matter of fact, the Wall Street Journal today, and uh, it's very interesting. They're sort of uh, implying that Runkeeper is becoming the social network of, uh, of fitness data, uh, which I think is a, just a really interesting sort of uh, way to think about it. Uh, in that light, it's sort of unfortunate to have the name Runkeeper. Would much rather be, you know, fitness something or other. But, uh, but hey, they'll take it. It's a Boston company. They're right here in uh, in yeah. It's uh, like eleven Boston. guys or eleven folks or something like that, right? Yeah, Very small uh-huh. company. Yeah, uh-huh. and the the guy that runs it uh, runs the marathon every once in a while with, uh, you know, in like a giant iPhone costume or something like that. It's uh, they're they're pretty compelling. You see them around here all the time. Uh, they're not far away. I could. Run there in about half an hour. Their their little offices there. They actually do a little thing where you can drop by and just uh, kind of you know sort of open office hours. It's pretty neat. Uh, That's pretty interesting. So the yeah. the uh, the interesting thing for me is I saw a, I saw a post by uh, Tim O'Reilly today yeah. where he talked about the or he referred back to his as you know or as I think you know. In uh, 2009, Tim O'Reilly did a did a both a speech and a presentation at the Web 2.0 conference about the sensory network. Yeah, and so he did a uh, he uh, very much congratulated himself for seeing this coming uh, in a in a, <laughs> in a in a tweet today. Uh, but nonetheless, I think it's really interesting. They are um, <clears throat> they're expanding. I think your 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 comment about them being named Runkeeper. Is while unfortunate, it probably doesn't matter in the long run, right? Right. Um, because if if I know that I can, it's not just about running; it's about total fitness, and I can do body mass stuff and all this other. Yeah, connect um, my scale to it. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and not only that, I can compare myself to you know you because you're in my friend network, and they're just doing some really cool things. Yeah, they are, and they're keeping the uh, the pedal to the metal, which is pretty much the difference between a. You know, mediocre kind of lifestyle business and a, and just a great you know world changing business. So I'm pretty excited to to watch them grow. They're sort of hometown heroes here, I guess. 
Um, <clears throat> in any case, normally we start with uh, Amnesia Lane. We've jumped way forward, or not Amnesia Lane, rather, uh, uh, Rewind. And yes. we jump forward. So, uh, interestingly enough, Ford's new car OS. Talk to me about this one. Well, there was a there was a write up uh, this past week about uh, Ford coming out with a new car, essentially a new car operating system that would allow, among other things, car-to-car communication. And it had a lot of, what I found was interesting was it had a lot of the concepts that you and I talked about in our, uh, in our podcast on the car OS, which I believe was podcast number four. One, yeah. of, these, one of these weeks, I'm actually going to pay attention I, to I the episode it. numbers. But it's, it's in a previous podcast where we talked about uh, what you and I thought the, the ideal car operating system was. And I don't think, I don't think you or, or I think that the Ford thing uh, was, is, is all that you and I think it should be. But what I was encouraged by is that they're actually, you know, they're doing some interesting things. They're doing the car-to-car communication and they're, they're doing some things that, uh, that get that send them on the way down the road that you and I talked about. Do you think they can actually get there? That's the question. Uh, although, you know, with an organization, so if it was Chevrolet, I would say no. Yeah. Um, but with an organization like Ford, who uh, remains my favorite American car company because they didn't take any bailout money. Yeah, I'm with you there. And, and so, you know, if I was going to buy an American car, I would buy a Ford. And it's, <clears throat> and it's really for that reason only. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they make a good car. Yeah, I mean, there's, okay. There's, yeah. there's, there's no doubt that you know the reason they didn't have to take bailout money is because they were already making decent cars. Yeah. Um, so unlike you know Chevy and all these other clowns that that uh, you know had to be bailed out, and I guess the good news about Chevy is they're starting to pay some of the money back, but uh-huh. really they should have just gone out of business. Yeah. And uh, but I anyway, agree. I think if if any American car company. I think it's probably Ford. I would lean more toward a German car company probably getting this right yeah. um, before an American, but you never know. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. So what are your thoughts about it? Uh, yeah, pretty much the same. I, I uh, uh, for years and years and years, have thought Americans make the worst cars on the planet. Uh, they make things that are like Tonka toys, big round buttons, giant, you know, Tonka toy like uh, controls and that works well uh, for selling trucks because trucks are supposed to be beat around and and you know so that's pretty much the only kind of a car if you can call it that that I think Americans uh, sort of traditionally did well uh, but uh, more recently I think they're finally coming around it really took them a, a serious gut check before they started to to kind of turn around but they're still a long a long shot away from anything German or Anything pretty much in the rest of the world in various you know cases. So they've got a long way to go, but I am at least encouraged. I'm now starting to look back again at them, not seriously, but uh, you know, I I at least am going to start become familiar with the uh, the line. Yeah, so. we're probably we're probably still ahead of the Italians, at least for the Fiat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that may be, but that's that's yeah. faint praise. So, yes, indeed, uh, <laughs> indeed, and maybe ahead of Peugeot. <laughs> So, uh, what else is going on in the news? Uh, software patents have, have been a big thing. We've talked about this. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? We, we read a uh, uh, blog post recently about this one. You want to talk about that? Yeah, so I think uh, Fred Fred Wilson, who uh, run, runs Union Square Ventures in yeah. New York, a very, very successful 
uh, venture capital firm. Uh, they've been involved. I think they're involved with Twitter. They got in with Twitter early. I know they're an investor in Tumblr. So, uh, you know, they seem to be a forward-thinking company. So Fred Wilson, who's the head of Union Square, uh, came out with a blog post last week, um, and the title of it was Enough is Enough. And it was this. Uh, it was basically just lashing out at software of patents and just the just the ludicrous path that these things have taken. As you and I know, because we're in the iPhone world, these uh, these clowns over at Lodesys have yeah. uh, filed a lawsuit against all iPhone developers that are using in-app purchase. Yeah. Um, as an example of just like they came up with the idea that you could buy something within an application. Yeah, that's, it's that's, just come absurd. Come on. I mean, I have an I have an app in the store that has in-app purchasing. I mean, I haven't heard from them. Then again. You know, I, I have far from a popular app at this point, but, uh, uh, you know, this kind of, it's monkey nonsense. It's just ridiculous. Uh, the question is, you know, is, is software closer to uh, media or closer to hardware? And I think we're arguing it's, it's much closer to media. You know, you're yes, not going to have a song. Yeah, uh, and I think the, well, and a song is copyrighted, so you don't well, have yeah, to, right? Yeah, yeah. But the, but the, this idea that you can take, you know, a very discreet and uh, you know something that appears in almost every application and patent a concept. Yeah, uh, I just have a real problem with it. So I think if the concept of patents is not a bad one when applied correctly. Yeah. Uh-huh. So if it's if you're a drug company and you spend you know fifty million dollars trying to solve the AIDS problem, um, and you actually you know you come out with a, uh, some medication that helps to you know mitigate the symptoms of AIDS or whatever the whatever the healthcare you know thing is, if you've invested a lot of money, you deserve to recoup that money. Yeah, and you deserve the exclusivity. But if you are you know, if you're trying to pat something, some you know, something as generic as in-app purchasing, really all you're trying to do, you know, you are a patent troll, as they like to say, yeah. and you're just you're really just patenting technology so that you can sue people later. Yeah, you're not you're not doing it to protect your technology. You're doing it so that you can sue somebody later when they use something that's close. I remember I had a, this was probably, gosh, two months ago now. Um, I was in a I was at a lunch with a guy. And so this guy was looking to patent something like uh, – it was like a decision tree logic or something like that. I mean something that yeah. you would use in any application anywhere, uh, but he was trying to apply – he was trying to patent it in a particular space. And then and – his, and his next comment was, and then what we can do is go after everybody that gets anything close. Yeah. <laughs> So it's not it's not around it's not around it's not about innovation it's, yeah, about, it's about squashing. Yeah, it's about squashing yeah. innovation. And I think that was the that was the essentially the the, what Fred Wilson was after yeah. is you know the what it's doing is it's make, making people gun shy about um you know any kind of innovation when you don't know if some guy's going to land on your door the, 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 the day you go live with it and say, oh, I've already got something like that. Here's a cease and desist until sure. we get it salt, until we get it settled. Sure. So it also begs the question, what exactly is software? Because you could argue if somebody's doing some AIDS research and they're programming genes or they're uh, programming, uh, you know, in, in that sense, not necessarily in the computer run software, but software that's executed elsewhere. Uh, you know, where do things fall? It's not exactly a very sharp line. That's, that's, you know, that's all. And people are probably yeah. going to use that to argue 
uh, you know, one way or another. In any well, case, I, yeah, and I think the the problem is that the patent office doesn't really understand what the applications yeah. mean, and so they'll grant rather than being I don't know what this rather than erring on the side of I don't know what this is. I'm not going to I'm not going to allow it. They seem to be erring on the side of I don't know what this is. I'll let it go through. Sure. Because what's the what's the ramification? The guy's going to be pissed off, and they're going to yell and scream, and so it's just easier to let it go through. But it, of course, creates this enormous problem. So yeah, yeah. agreed. And it's yeah. a government bureaucrat. That yeah. I mean, realistically, do they do they really care? <laughs> yeah, and then not not really. Yeah. Um, so. so you know what else? We're uh, we are not going to talk about the uh, Groupon IPO silliness. We're not no. going to talk about it. It's no, we're just, not. It's just we're gonna too let, stupid. We're going to let it go. Yeah. RSA, talk to me about the uh, security breach. They just had a uh, uh, a little bit of a breach, you might say. <laughs> they did have just a just a tiny, tiny breach. So RSA has been known for years as the, in my mind at least, as the gold standard of network security. So they they seemed to have solved the problem of uh, you know allowing companies that have uh, very real security concerns uh, the ability to. You give a company the ability to do remote access and all these things that are required today, but still maintain security. Because as you know, as RSA, how RSA works is that I carry around essentially a token generator on my keychain. Yeah. And when I go to log in, the token on my keychain has to match the token on the server or I don't get an allowed access. Yeah. So it's not only just, it's not the typical challenge response of of just username and password, but I also have to have this token. And yeah, the token, so it's, it's two-factor. Yep, exactly. And so they were for a long time the gold standard and really didn't have uh to my re- to my recollection any serious breaches. Well, uh, I think it was a week or a week and a half ago, maybe longer. Uh but it really was seemed to be in the news last week. Um somebody broke on to Lockheed Martin's network wow. <clears throat> and and as a result of that, they RSA had to they had to shut down external access completely. Wow. Lockheed Martin and uh, until they could reissue every every employee of Lockheed Martin a new uh, RSA secure ID token. There's a huge black eye for RSA. How huge. many how many tokens do you do you know Heather that they have? To I don't reissue? know, but I just read this morning the the ripple effect of it is very real. There's another company I forget who it was. I I can't remember where I read it. I think it was on CNET or something like that. There's another huge company today that is reissuing all of their tokens. Really? And, and when I worked at Semantic, which is a I want to say it was a 17,000 employee company. Yeah. Uh, we all had RSI, RSA tokens as well. So I would imagine, you know, any company, I would guess, that is using RSA is probably in the process of re, you know, reissuing tokens. Yeah, this, this opens the door to competitors. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Because be now you've got a story to tell. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, so moving right along, this is a story that's uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, I would uh, I would argue I'm just going to throw it out there that uh, cell phones are this generation's cigarette. Uh, this is something you and I have talked about uh, a bit in the past. You you've got to be you know back in the the 50s or 40s or whatever it was. You had to be stupid not to realize that cigarettes were bad, uh, bad for you in, in some way. Uh, just like nowadays, you've got to be a moron not to think that the radio in your pocket transmitting to a tower 20 miles away, right through your body, 
is not good for you. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, what's funny is I remember, and I think we've talked about this on the show before, that you and I used to carry the big Motorola brick phone. <laughs> yeah, well, that and, was and, the day. Wow. And when you, uh, this was, you know, 1994-ish yeah. uh, when they when they were first, you know, sort of appeared on the market. As, that was when I started carrying one anyway. Uh-huh. And I just remember, you know, the heat from that thing would just cook your face you it, and it was hot you couldn't get more than like a you know half hour phone conversation out of it no too. yeah i would be i remember riding down the car or riding down the road in my car talking that thing and just sweating <laughs> yeah and you know my whole the whole side of my face would just be sweating and then yeah. the, and then of course the next generation was kind of the motorola flip phone and that, those were those were even worse those they were, they would get very very hot but let me tell you in terms of a technological jump from this brick phone that that you you're stretching it if you argue that you can put that in your pocket. You yes. could, but I mean it was you know right. sticking out is no way. To this tiny, I mean comparatively tiny, tiny you're, flip. Yeah, phone. you're absolutely right. I mean that was a huge jump. But you, I remember you know. thinking at the time, and it's it's uh, it's akin to, and I don't you know this isn't a new topic. This has been beat to death in some some ways, but it's very much in the news right now because the World Health Organization came out and said. You know, people need to start paying attention to this. Yeah. And here, you know, here's some guidelines about how you use your phone, uh-huh. and here's some guidelines about when you're not using your phone, where you put it. And so they came out with this is the most specific uh, kind of warning that any kind of major health organization has come out with. Hmm. Um, and so I think that's what makes it newsworthy. And but it's when it came out, I think you know you probably had the same reaction I did. Is that Okay, well, this is not new. If if you uh, all you have to do is spend time on your phone with that thing right up next to your head, yep. and you know if you spend forty five minutes or an hour on that thing, you have a headache when you're done. Yeah, There's and it's not it's, it's not just the heat, and yeah. and so you know probably at least a year ago, if not more, uh, I think it was when I bought my three G. I, I found a phone cover. Yeah. Um, I have on 3G. I found a phone cover that allowed me to wrap the headphones yeah. behind it. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh-huh. you've seen it. Yeah, and and ever since then, I won't have more than like a two or three minute conversation on the phone without putting my headphones on. And most of the time, if I have any option to do it, I will say, "Hang on while I," you know, I'll answer the phone mm-hmm. and say, "Hang on while I get my headset on," just to get away from my skull. Yeah. And I think the you know the other thing is that that was pretty interesting in the world health. Uh, kind of guidelines was, you know, don't put it on your bedside stand uh, while you're sleeping all night. So things like putting your plane, putting your phone in airplane mode and, Uh or just getting it away from your, you know, from your bed stand. If you, you know, if you want to have the phone in your room, which most people do um, for obvious reasons, whether it's security or you just, you know, you need to be able to answer it if it rings in the middle of the night or whatever that is. The, uh, it seems to me that you know we've got to start we've got to start taking more precautions about how we use these things or yeah. you know we're going to wake up in 20 years and everybody's going to have brain cancer or everybody's something everybody's going to have a third eye i mean it's true <laughs> so a couple of the things so you're one of the things you do the uh you know don't keep the phone next to your head which undoubtedly is outside of not using a cell phone is the best way to go another thing you can do which i've done is get a microcell so I've got a microcell in my apartment here. It happens to also be necessary because the cell service is so shoddy. But because there's a cell so close, the phone can run at the lowest power setting. 
that helps very significantly. It also helps the battery. I've got an iPhone 4 and I get about three days out of it. Yeah, what's interesting is, uh, and I think a lot of people probably don't know it, is that when you're in an area where you've got one or two bars, the phone is working a lot harder to find a tower. Yeah. And, the, you know, so it's actually much better when you've got the four and five bars. So that's why your, you know, your microcell idea is such a good one. Yeah. So cell phones automatically ratchet back their power. This is both a power savings, but more importantly, a uh, bandwidth issue. If you have a lot of phones in a, in a very dense area, turning down the transmitters on everything allow you to use, allows you to use the same channel you know, a few blocks away. So yeah. it, it is a bandwidth uh, savings as well. I've been looking fairly deeply into this with OpenBTS. I've been running uh, my own cell base station here and connecting phones to it. So I've actually also got a software radio that does this. Uh, so I've been looking into this uh, uh, quite a bit. And uh, certainly rural phones with the capability to transmit some 35 kilometers radius, so you know 70 all the way across, yeah, uh, it, it, they use some significant amount of power to push a signal out there. So, yeah. So, what um, else do you think is is important for, you know, for the average user? You know, the, you kind of got the you know the chicken little folks out there saying, yeah. you know, don't use your phones at all, which is just unrealistic anymore. What are what are some other things that you do just practically? Like, do you carry your phone in your pocket and so because you know, they taught because there was a part of I remember reading a, a post from Tim Ferriss about how the you know the having carrying a phone in your pocket if you're a male reduces sperm count and yep. all these other kind of things and so i'm curious what you know what else, so what are some things that you do that are just practical things sure there's a, there's a couple things well first of all you could use a bluetooth headset now granted that's radio as well but it uh, runs at a much lower power, so that's going to be a lot better than putting a you know power transmitter right next to your head. I don't do that, though. Generally, what I do outside of the microcell is when I come home, I put the phone on the counter in the kitchen, and I walk away from it. Uh, and there it sits all day, So and all night, actually. I leave it in the kitchen all night. So most of the time, unless I'm rolling around, the thing is, is not near me. Um, yeah, yeah so, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out in the next 10 to 15 years. Just And one, the other thing that I think is important, very important, is that if you have – if you've got kids, yeah. um, this issue is is – exponentially more important to you um, because you've got, you know, you've got the brain development happening in a, you know, so if somebody gets a a phone at 10 years old, well, they're getting a, you know, so I have a, I have a head start. I have a bit, you and I have a big head start on kind of the old school cell phones, but if somebody gets a phone at 10 years old, they're beating, I mean, they're, they'll, they'll have a 15 year head start on me essentially. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of radio exposure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And so you've got to, I just like, for instance, when my kids talk, if I let them use my phone, uh, they always have to use the headset. I don't uh-huh. ever let them just put the thing up to their head just because it's so, you just don't know. Yeah. And why would you, it's like, it's like, okay, well, I'll let you smoke this cigarette because I don't know, I don't know how dangerous it really is. So it can't be that bad. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, uh, the risk is not worth it. Uh, what might happen down the road. So Yeah, yeah, agreed. And, and you know, another thing comes up when people are talking about this sort of thing, it's uh, Wi-Fi. Uh, they're worried that Wi-Fi has the same sort of an impact. And just purely technically by the numbers, uh, a Wi-Fi 
the Wi-Fi spec limits the power of the transmission, and uh, it's very, very much lower than anything we're talking about here. Clearly, the the power broker in this uh, you know, field here is, uh, is the cell phone. There's not really much else in terms of radios that you have on you that uh, go anywhere near the power output of a cellular radio. Right. Um, and, and I might also add that you don't have to be on the phone for the phone to transmit. Of course, the phone is, you know, every so often logging in with a tower and saying, hey, I'm, I'm still here. If you have a call from me, I'm here. Yep. And uh, as you move from location to location, the phone may decide to camp to a, another tower if it sounds better. And it's uh, doing all that coordination all the time, every minute or so, kind of behind behind your back without you uh, knowing about it, which does two things. It has a location uh, problem, which we'd talked about. It's a location. Uh, it effectively gives away its location every time it transmits, regardless of what it says. You can find a, a phone, and they do give unique IDs. So there, there is that. But um, it also uh, uh, is transmitting right out of your pocket or wherever you happen to hold it. So. I tend to, if I'm on a trip, I'll put it in one pocket, and I'll put it in the other pocket, and then I'll put it in my shirt pocket. I'll move yeah. it around if I have to have it on me. Put it in so. your backpack. You know, exactly. whatever you, whatever you can do to keep yeah. it from just you know frying one spot. Yeah. Um, so I like your idea of setting it away from you while you're working. I usually have it sitting right on the desk ne- next to me, but I think I'll start doing that as well. It's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. So uh, moving on, uh, college. Uh, 20 Under 20 Foundation. I think it was Peter Thiel. Thiel? How do you say his name? Do you know I his? think it's Thiel. Thiel? Uh, can't, can't say for sure. Yeah. So is this a good idea or not? What, what are we talking about here? <laughs> so Peter Thiel is a, uh, I, I, you know, some guy that he's got a foundation. He's not just some guy. So Peter Thiel created this foundation <laughs> Yeah. Um, that's called 20 Under 20. Yeah. And the idea behind it is to encourage uh, you can look at it two ways. It's either to encourage uh, people that are good enough at what they do to move on with their life and not invest, you know, one hundred and twenty to two hundred thousand dollars in college. Uh, the other way to look at it is to discourage um, discourage a waste of both time and money. Um, so the the program was. Uh, what the, it was founded on the on the premise that there are people that just do not need to go to college. So what do they do? So the way it works is you get. Uh, he's actually doing. Um, I think it's twenty four this year. It's not technically twenty, um, mm-hmm. but the, he will fund. He will give them a hundred thousand dollars to uh, to pursue their entrepreneurial passion, mm-hmm. whatever that is. So if it's a good enough idea, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, if if the if the applicant measures up in terms of just aptitude and everybody believes in their ability to pull it off, uh, the idea is that you bypass you know three or four years in college mm-hmm. um, and get on with get on with your idea because as you and I know, especially if you're in technology, time is there's really is no substitute for time. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's probably true in any field, but sure. it's it seems technology seems to move much more yeah, quickly. Yeah, even than, more so important. Agreed. Yeah. What so, would, what would what would happen if somebody were to lay a hundred thousand dollars on a nineteen-year-old Scott Barstow? Uh, that would not have been a pretty sight. Uh, <laughs> I, probably, I probably would have gone and uh, you know I probably would have been a coke addict. Uh, really? But I, yeah, I just at nineteen I was an idiot. I was but, an idiot too, but I, I think I mean I would have messed it up too. But I mean. 
Yeah, yeah. But at at twenty, at twenty would have been a much safer investment for me. I, for me, it really would have been twenty two. Between twenty two and twenty three, I turned one hundred and eighty degrees from yeah. a complete moron who didn't know why I was here or what I was doing to somebody who knew exactly where I was. But that happened when I was twenty, you know, twenty two and a half, twenty three. So maybe if you dropped it on me at that time, I might have been able to do something. It would have been a waste for me. I think twenty is a little, a little close. Maybe maybe ascending somebody to travel around the world for a few years and then uh, letting them get the passion and then, you know, giving them $100,000 and uh, effectively not having to uh, uh, pay back college loans would be the the safer way to go. That's the way I might have done it. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think the what I like about it is, so regardless of how you, I read a post by Mark Suster, who's a guy out in the Valley that's a, that's a, uh, I would say a prominent uh, VC guy. He's a serial entrepreneur, very successful. Mm-hmm. And so he wrote a post about that college is not fundamentally is not about what you learn in the class- classroom. It's a what it's about everything else that goes on. So he used the example. I f- I forget his exact words, but he said something like, "I learned more about leadership and life being the president of my fraternity than mm-hmm. I did in four years of college." Yeah. And so the the question in, in my mind about this program or anything else that's like it is, uh, you know, how do you replace? How do you get that kind of experience for the for those that would? So if you're not just going to college and going to class, you know, and drinking beer all night, yeah. And you're actually, you know, you're in a leadership position in college, and you know, you're doing the things that kind of set you apart uh, from the rest of your class or whatever those things are. What? How do you replace that if somebody doesn't go to college? Yeah, can you can you learn those skills, learn learn uh, leadership and all uh, by running a startup as yeah. opposed to going to college? Now, yeah, maybe- well, one obvious place that you can do it is if you're in the military. I mean, uh-huh. you're, you're not in college there, but you're you know at 19 you could conceivably be leading, commanding it, you sure. know, commanding you know 10 or 12 guys or whatever it sure. is. So if you're good enough, then you know, if you if you show yourself worthy of it, you get promoted. And I think that's one of the great things. That's one of the great things about the military is this idea that it doesn't really matter how old you are. It's whether you're good at uh, that particular skill. Right. And so you can be in that. So I think that's the other logical place where you might get that kind of experience. Right. So, but I don't know outside of doing like an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Or and if but the problem with an apprenticeship is, is of course that if you're an apprentice, you know you're typically not in a position of leadership in the company. You're you know you're going out and getting the CEO's lunch or whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, you're the you're the grunt. You're the lackey. Yeah, you are yeah. the lackey. And yeah. so I don't. So I, the but what I what I what I really like about this idea is that it's challenging the status quo. Whether this is right or not doesn't matter. Yeah. What matters to me is the conversation. Yeah. That that college, there's a lot of people talking about this this idea of an education bubble now, uh-huh. uh, where you know it's people are finally starting to clue in. Then education expense or the what you pay for college has grown at a rate far greater than uh, you know job or uh, you know pay pay scale or any other measurable. It's it's way out of line. Yeah, in terms of how much uh, college costs have increased. So I think people are starting to clue in that you know if you're not going to University of North Carolina, for instance, which is probably a great deal at, I think you pay between fifteen and 18000 bucks a year to go to UNC. Fantastic uh-huh. school. 
uh, and you get you probably get as good an education as you could get in a state school anywhere. So that feels to me like okay, if you're going to go if you're going to go to college, that feels like an okay number. Yeah. Not you know if if but Wake Forest for instance here is uh, is fifty four thousand bucks a year. Wow. Really. Yeah, that's, I had no that's idea. Wake wow. Forest. That's not even Duke or, yeah. you know, an Ivy League school. That's Wake Forest University. Wow. Is, I think it's it's either forty six or fifty four. But does it really matter at that point? No, it doesn't. But here's the thing. So so uh, I, I would want to be careful about throwing out the baby with the bathwater on this one because it's not like all you know all college is evil and and sort of learning bootstrapping on your own is is better than anything. I'm not trying to say that. Uh, there, there are qualities that you learn in, in college, uh, you know, sticking with the, with, the, uh, you know, following something through all the way to the end, sticking with a plan, learning the, uh, the theory behind something. Yes. Um, the problem is of course, when, you know, you and I have had this problem, you, we hire people right out of college and they can't do anything. I mean, yep. they, they're all theory and they have absolutely no ability to do anything. And then you have those guys that that are kind of just all self-taught and they they you know they're your typical PHP hacker and they they learned because it was easy to get kind of get in the door and they make these coding monstrosities that are they work but they are completely unmaintainable. So there is some sort of a middle ground here where you, it would be very interesting, I think, to to do a couple of years of classes, maybe two years of classes, and then cut away to do a uh, do a startup, and then have some sort of a continuing education setup where you can keep going back and earning more points or credits or whatever the system is to increase your theoretical uh, knowledge. Because certainly for me, as I was learning, it. Everything was pretty much a a unrealistic uphill battle for me unless I had a practical reason why. Good example of this is learning calculus. I mean, I use calculus pretty much every day in one way or another, but it needed to be explained to me why I needed that before it made sense for me to sit there and figure out derivations and blah, blah, blah. Because to me, it was not important how to create the, uh, you know, how to basically turn the crank. You put in these variables up at the top and you turn the crank the specific way and out pops the answer and boom, you're done. That's totally, who cares about that? What, you know, what, why do I need the answer? And why does turning the crank in this way pop the answer out? I needed to have a practical understanding of, first of all, why do you want to understand, why do you want to estimate the uh, uh, area under a curve, for example, or, or why do you want to need to know the slope of a line at a, at a certain point? That, I needed to know why that was important before I would accept the, uh, the rote explanation for, okay, you do this, then that, then this, and that. So I think there may be some uh, sort of a, the interim or, or hybrid college slash practical apprenticeship maybe or, or, you know, better yet, the sink or swim. Uh, it, well, I guess it depends on the person, but throwing somebody at a sink or swim type startup, you learn things that you'll never learn anywhere else. And, and most importantly, you learn risk taking, which you don't learn in college. Uh, so maybe there's a middle ground. Yeah, I think that's I think that's 
probably where it ends up. I think there's a, I think there has to be a rationalization of what it costs yeah. to provide college education and uh, the value. What I've come to, you know, realize over these however many years it's been since I've been out of college is that the value of college is not in the four years that you're there. It's in the people that you meet. Totally agreed. And so the whatever, and that's what I've, what you, you know, what you come to appreciate about a school, let's say Harvard Business School, it's right up in your yeah. neck of the woods. A friend of mine just that, graduated. Is that it's really not about their their classwork and their coursework is probably not any better than let's say, you know, Carolina's business school program. It's probably there's probably not a lot of difference there. The difference mm-hmm. is that the professors that are there and also just the network yeah, uh, the, it's the network. The mafia that you tap into is is unmatched, and yeah. you get that at, you get that at Stanford or Cal Poly or any of those schools. You yeah, know, the HBS great engineering is, schools on the West School sure. or on the West Coast. It's the same principle. Yeah, that you know the reason that you work your rear end off and get it, try to get into those schools is not because you're going to learn more about computer science than you would at NC State or, you know, pick your university. It's it's just the this the the area that you're in and who you're surrounded by is is everything. Yeah, that's and true. I, and yeah. I think the the other thing I would say to your point about uh, you know, having a practical application, I think some of education, the value of college education. So when I was in college, I took classes like uh, you know, Russian history from the 1850s to the Russian, to <laughs> nice. the communist revolution. Yeah. Right. That's it. And I took it from a guy that was very interesting. I really enjoyed the class. I did the same thing with Chinese history, uh, you know, right before the communist, uh, you know, uh, revolution there. Uh-huh. So I, at the time was fascinated by the difference between capitalism and communism. And uh-huh. I wanted to, and, and then, and it, and what those classes did for me, even to this day, is that I'm fascinated by those countries. I pay more attention yeah. to what's going on in Russia than I ever would in to what's going on in France or uh-huh. you know or even the UK. Yeah, I just I'll, it's I'll, a fascinating spot. Yeah, I, I agree with you totally. I I did. Uh, I mean, I didn't take a uh, uh, college class on on Russian history, but I did take a. Uh, did a, uh, a teaching company lecture on on the history of Russia and also another one on the history of China. Interestingly, I'll, I'll throw in a note if you're if you're into the lectures, uh, the history of ancient Egypt uh, by Bob Breyer, uh, which is about a twenty four hour course. It is uh, absolutely fascinating. Was down in D.C. this past weekend uh, attending a lecture of his. There there are some, I mean. I'm a computer guy. I'm into technology. What in the world do I care about? Russian history, Chinese history, Egyptian history. What do I care about this? But it, it's just so absolutely fascinating if you have a great teacher. And it, it, uh, by looking at these uh, civilizations and how they handle things, you, you notice what the similarities are, what's true of humanity and what's just part of the culture. Yes, and, I agree. There yeah. are things that are universally true. Yeah, things that are universally true, and and uh, you know it gives you a uh, a great appreciation for markets and capitalism, and uh, you know it, it lit me on fire. That as well as uh, well, I took a geology course at uh, at Stony Brook University with uh, Professor Lindsley, which was absolutely fascinating. This guy's you know the guy that that uh, studied the moon rocks when they came down from uh, from the moon in 69. I mean, just a fascinating guy. Really great course there. And, uh, you know, these things have nothing to do with uh, uh, what I would normally uh, associate with. And so maybe that's one of the things that 
college is for. It's to allow you to try some things that were new. I guess I guess this whole idea of doing a 20 under 20 or getting $100,000 or whatever it is really makes sense to the type of a kid that is a self-starter, a self-learner, probably going to be a lifelong learner, probably travels, somebody who's really interested in life and is grabbing at it, you know, that yeah, kind of, a, it's that's not, it's it not the guy, it's not the guy that's it's going to college home. to get a $60,000 a year job. Yeah, totally. It's and, not that guy. Yeah, no. And, and I mean, you know, you do uh, starting doing a startup, you've got, uh, uh, people that are generally around to help you and you've, you've got, you know, you'll meet people in the industry, they have experience. And so they become mentors, but they're really, it's hard to, for me, when I was in college, the most important thing I learned in college was the name Jeremy Wall, good friend of mine, who taught me pretty much everything I really know about technology, really kind of, you know, put some discipline around the, uh, you know, wild facts that were flying around my head. He kind of helped me uh, focus and, and make it all mean something. And, uh, you know, we worked for many years together. Uh, fascinating guy. He's, he's really the top of the top. I don't know any programmer that is, uh, that is as adept as he is. So well, yeah, th- that's the other thing. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to meet people if you're doing a startup, but it's, uh, and you're going to meet that guy that's going to basically uh, sleep under his desk, uh, you know, right along with you. But I mean, uh, unless they've got stuff that you don't, it may be an intellectually less than stimulating environment, which college at least hopefully supplies. So, yeah, I, I agree. All right. Yeah. I think we need to put we that beat one this to, bed. to death. We've beat this to death. So, uh, so the movie, uh, dumb and dumber we've, uh, we've both watched. So here we're going to, we're, I'm just going to play a, uh, play a little clip from this movie. Hey, why don't we get busy and deliver the briefcase to Mary? If I know her as well as I think I do, she'll invite us right in for tea and strumpets. Good plan. Where's she live? I don't know. What's her last name? I'll look it up. Uh, you know, I don't really recall. It starts with an S. So swim, swami, sl- slippy, slappy, swimming, salmon, simmon, swanson, swanson? Maybe it's on the briefcase. Look on the... Oh, yeah! It's right here. Samsonite. I was way off. I knew it started with an S, though. <laughs> it's brilliant. He yeah. actually got it. That's the thing. He got the name. It was uh, Swanson. Yeah, he says it right before he says, "Oh, I can't remember." And then he Slippy, says, "Oh, Samsonite." Slappy. I was way off. <laughs> this movie. Uh, so this movie uh, came out in 1994. Uh, Farley Brothers directed. Isn't it Farley Brothers? Farley. I don't know. I don't know. So. I don't, yeah, who I don't cares? Know. Uh, you got uh, Jim Carrey as Lloyd. Uh, you've got Jeff Daniels as uh, as Harry, just two completely hapless losers, right? Yeah. And uh, trying to return this suitcase full of dough uh, to this uh, to this woman whose husband has been who's, who's been has been kidnapped, and it's this ransom money. And uh, for uh, as I said last week, this movie for my money, it's just it's two hours <laughs> of quotes like the one you just played, where you're just like, how in the world did these guys come up with this good of material? Uh, you know, for two hours of a movie. Just fantastic. I'm going to set another one up. So he goes to uh, uh, the little 
you know, palatial suite and Mary, the, the uh, love interest, has uh, gone off to the bathroom and he's talking to himself and, and uh, you know, because he loves her, but he can't get his, his wits up to say it. So he, he does this. Look, Mary, I know this may seem a little sudden, but I've given it a lot of thought. You're the woman I've been waiting for my whole life, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. Please, let me finish. I'm crazy about you. I've never felt this way about anybody. <laughs> Listen to me. I feel like a schoolboy again. A schoolboy who desperately wants to make sweet, sweet love to you. I desperately want to make love to a schoolboy. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, classic. My oh my god! So one of the things that's interesting about this movie, I think, is that uh, Lauren Holly, who plays Mary, yeah. and Jim Carrey actually got married not too long after they filmed this movie. That's together. right. That's so they right. met. I believe they met on the set. Wow. Uh, and then we're married not not long after, and uh, we're married for quite some time. I don't remember how long, but it seems like they got divorced in the early two thousands or something like that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> one of the th- so a couple other things that I thought were pretty or that were really really interesting about this movie. So when he's uh, when he drops Mary Swanson off at the airport, you know he's he's pulling away and he sees her set the briefcase down and he slams into the back of that car. <laughs> And the you know the airbag pops up and he and he starts running inside. He you know he slides, picks Mary. up the briefcase, yeah, Mary, and he starts. He takes off running. And what is missing in the airport scene? Oh, TSA. That's right. Oh my word. He, he goes straight to the gate. Runs. He runs down the jetway and falls <laughs> on his face. But I was, as I was watching that for uh, for this for this week's show. Uh, that was the thing that, in terms of cultural things, you had yeah. like the old, you know, you had the old TV screen, yeah, the CRTs, and, yeah, the CRTs, <laughs> and all that sort of stuff that you would expect. But that was the thing that I, that just stuck out to me in terms of things that are different today than than nineteen ninety four. Is that you you just can't do that anymore. And the one other thing on that scene, do you realize that the airline was TWA? I know that was great. <laughs> I mean, right. That must have been like right in the throws of the last death throws of TWA. That yeah, was like exactly. The last, wow. Well, yeah, yeah, those guys went went through bankruptcy like sixteen times. It felt like <laughs> before so. they finally put the bullet in the head. Yeah, yeah. Oh, somebody, somebody finally just did it yeah. execution style and got it over with. One question I had is, how does Lloyd have such a brilliant idea to get back at Seabass? I, mean, I he, don't. He claims he got it from a movie, but. I, I, that that seemed a little out of character. So the, the here's what's interesting about Seabass is that you may or may not know that Seabass was actually his name is Cam the 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 actor's name is Cam Neely and he uh-huh. was a former professional hockey player. Was he really? He was, huh. and I remember watching him play. He played for the Boston Bruins, and I'm not sure who else, uh, huh. but I remember him specifically for the Boston Bruins. A huge guy, he's like six four. Yeah, he, he played. He would play like a freight train. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so I didn't know that until I was doing some research for uh, for this week's show that that was Cam Neely because he obviously wow. he looks nothing like yeah. what he looked like as a hockey player. So that yeah. was that was pretty funny. Wow, 
<laughs> the dream sequence also that that you know he's he's kind of daydreaming or night dreaming on driving yes. away <laughs> just hilarious what he thinks the life of the party might be oh i know so yeah he's, he's in there and he's you know he's telling jokes in front of all those people and then they go to dinner and he, this guy comes over and starts kissing mary's arm <laughs> and uh, so he gets up and you know punches the guy in the nuts uh you know 26 times or whatever it was and uh, and then the guy comes, you know, you got the the Asian guy coming out of the kitchen for the <laughs> oh, final death, yeah. <laughs> the final death battle, and of course he he does the he does the uh, uh, Indiana Jones, you know, stick your hand in the in the yeah. through the chest and pull out the beating heart thing, <laughs> put it in to, a doggy bag <laughs> to go, <laughs> gives it to him. <laughs> That's brilliant. And then he goes, and then he goes, and they're all like wearing these horrible nineties you know, turtleneck sweaters sitting around a fire and he's just making a complete fool of himself and thinking that this would be totally appropriate, lighting farts on fire and all this kind of thing. Yeah. And he's the life of the party, right? (laughs) This this is how he envisions, you know, the, 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 this is, this is the life he's always dreamed of with Mary Swanson. Uh, it's, it's probably it's one of the best five minutes oh, of the movie, if it's even that long. Is that whole dream sequence? It it's, really is. God, it really is. So then, so then, uh, after he was in that, uh, later on, he actually does meet up with uh, with Mary, and then I, I just have this next uh, clip to play. Least you can do is level with me. What are my chances? Not good. You mean not good, like? One out of a hundred? I'd say more like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance? Yeah! Nicholas, what are you doing here? I've been looking for you, Mary. I have some news about your husband. Husband? Wait a minute. What was all that one in a million talk? <laughs> <laughs> I edited that down a little bit there. There's a bit more in there, but uh, that is such a funny, such a funny thing. It goes along with like, uh, you know, it reminds me of, uh, of uh, you know, ninth grade. Yes. This, just the absolute awkwardness of the whole thing. You yeah. Know? Yeah. These two guys that couldn't, you know, couldn't find their way out of any problem, you know, embroiled in this, in this ransom, you know, high stakes ransom game. They, they don't even know they're in it. Uh, all they think is that they've stumbled on this suitcase of money. And when they eventually open it, you know, they go crazy. And uh, one of the funniest lines in the movie is. All right. Here, I, I, they, I got it. I got you it. Got you got it. Yeah, all right. Here it goes. That's as good as money, sir. Those are IOUs. Go ahead and add it up. Every cent's accounted for. Look. See this? That's a car. 275000 Might want to hang on to that one. <laughs> uh, so some other things that I thought were just hysterical. In the first part of the movie, right after they, uh, right after he takes the briefcase and goes back to his house, you know, they yeah. they drive around the town because the these, uh, you know, you got this thug and his and his accomplice uh, show up who is Duff. Uh, incidentally, the uh, the girl accomplice is uh, Duff from uh, really? MTV Days. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Sure. But uh, one of the funniest quotes in the first part of the movie is when they look out the they look out through the uh, through the uh, God. What do you call? It? They look yeah, out through the, the door people. and they see the the yeah. people see and they see the, yeah they see the guy <laughs> you know with his gun and and he says there's two of them. One of them has a gun and Lloyd says, "Did you pay the gas bill?" 
like like the gas company would send a hitman. <laughs> a henchman with a gun. <laughs> and of course, the reason they don't have money is because uh, Jim Carrey's character, Lloyd, goes out and blows it all on the most worthless <laughs> crap. So he, you know, the last thing he's going to do is buy this horrible magazine. So he, he, you know, puts his wallet down and effectively just locks it inside the little magazine selling thing. So he needs to go buy another magazine. So he leaves his stuff with this old lady. And, uh, you know, of course, she he insults her. And so she walks away with the stuff. And then uh, he comes home and says, I got robbed by a sweet old lady on a motorized cart. I didn't even see it. Come. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the other funny. thing that that he says when, right in that in that it's later in that same speech he says we've got no food we've got no jobs our pets heads it's are falling, falling off that <laughs> uh, was classic uh, that's just brilliant. so, so that's many brilliant. so many great lines the in other, this here's what, one last great line in this yeah film. bring it what is the soup du jour it's the soup of the day that sounds good. I'll have that. Classic. I can't tell you the number of times I've caught, I've uh, I've repeated that line, which is probably pretty bad. All of that is to say this movie is all about just dumb quotes. This is not a good movie. This no. is a funny movie. That's a exactly right. And it's it's movie. the kind. It's it's as you said last week. It's eminently quotable. Yeah. You can use the you can use stuff from this movie yeah. in almost any situation. Yeah. Uh, the only uh, the only other one I had. Uh, I know we got to get off the air, but. Uh, the, one of my favorite ones is when they're talking about going to Aspen, and he says, where the beer flows like wine, where beautiful women flock like the salmon of Capistrano. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Oh, that's oh awesome. my gosh, so yeah. good. So what are we gonna what are we doing next week? What are we doing next week? So so right along the lines of Dumb and Dumber, we're gonna talk about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Which Indeed. is pretty much the complete opposite of uh, of anything Dumb and Dumber. This guy was a hero, and your uh, your uh, assignment for this week is to go watch the Bonhoeffer documentary. Do you know the name of that, by the way? I don't. You can stream it on Netflix for free, though. Excellent. Uh, all you got to do is uh, search search uh, Netflix for Bonhoeffer, and you'll see the documentary there. It's fantastic. I've watched it before. Uh, I know you've read the book by Eric Metaxas about I have. about Bonhoeffer. Uh, he, this guy was he was the real deal. He was he put uh, he put his money where his mouth was in World War II. This guy was and, a hero. He was an absolute hero uh, along the same lines in my mind as uh, Oscar Schindler, the same kind of yep. character. But, but, but much better. Yeah, I mean, this yeah is much a better guy, person. Much yeah, better person. Yeah, this is a guy to, to, uh, to clear it up for you. This is a guy is basically a radical pastor who took it upon himself to assassinate Hitler. Yes. So it's got all kinds of very interesting things. Should a pastor, you know, kill <laughs> so uh, and then I, this is obviously in the uh, uh, public psyche in the form of uh, uh, Valkyrie, which is this movie with uh, Tom Cruise back a, a few years ago. But this is the real guy. This is the guy that was behind this stuff. Uh, there are a number of attempts on Hitler's life, and uh, it, it's just a fascinating, fascinating character and a an all-out hero and just such a tragic story. But I will leave it to you to watch the uh, documentary to see how it all unfolds. Or better yet, read the book. It really is a fascinating book, but, but 
Yeah, I don't think you can read that book next week. by next week. That's, no. a, that's a thick one. It is, it is. Uh, but yeah, fantastic guy, fantastic character. And uh, just a, uh, like you said, it's a, it's a really a radical departure from this week, uh, this week. But these are all the things that we, uh, that we like to talk about. Absolutely, and, and, and very, very interesting. All right, Scott, then till next week, uh, this is uh, 353rd. You can catch us on iTunes. Just search for 350 space. T-H-I-R-D. Uh, online, we are 350-T-H-I-R-D.com. Uh, and uh, I'm Anders Brownworth. And I'm Scott Barstow. And the last thing I'll add is we've got Twitter. We're on Twitter at, at 353rd. Wonderful. We'll see you next week. Indeed. Bye. Have a good week. You too.